Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Pennsburg Podcast. I am Garrett Bahanna, joined, as always, with the man, the myth, the legend himself, Hooks Orpik, Jim Rixner. Jim, how are you doing tonight? Nice intro. Thanks for that, Garrett. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another show. Jim, since last week's episode of the Pennsburg Podcast, the Penguins have hit the road, and uh, they have gone down to sunny Florida while we are up here in the northeastern part of the state's bracing for the hell that is the short period of fall then immediately turning into winter. But Jim, enough complaining about us. Let's do, let's dive right into what the Penguins have done over the last seven, six to seven days. And um, like, I, like I mentioned, they hit the road and this uh, three-game road trip started with a trip down to Sunrise, Florida with a matchup against the Florida Panthers, a matchup in which the Penguins were bested by the Panthers by a score of 4-2. to two. Jim, after this game, uh, I remember the Penguins, some of the Penguins saying in the locker room media scrums that they felt like they played a pretty good game. And we'll get to this later when we start to recap the, the, the Tampa Bay game and look forward to the game against the Dallas Stars tomorrow. Uh, but the, the common theme on this road trip has been that the Penguins felt like, many, many Penguins felt like, they deserved to play better. Or they, they at least deserved a point because they felt like they played good enough to win. I, I think one of the one of the common themes that's starting to show here, I think there are chinks in this Penguins armor as much as we don't want to believe that, but I think it was only a matter of time before the Penguins kept icing that lineup and, you know, they were on one heck of a run, you know, getting points and beating teams they probably shouldn't have beaten, you know, going back... Uh, the game against the Colorado Avalanche comes to mind. That's probably a game that on paper they shouldn't have won with the lineup that they, they, they iced out there. But uh, Jim, does it seem like to you that over these last couple of games in Florida that the, the Penguins, you know, the the fact that they don't have Gauchenyuk and Malkin and all of these stars, is it finally starting to show that they really have some major weaknesses to deal with? It definitely is, even if you go back further to the Vegas game on Saturday where they got shut out by Marc-Andre Fleury, the Penguins there, still had a bunch of chances. I think they hit a couple crossbar posts and had a couple other really good chances that Fleury made good saves on. So you look at it, the last three games, the Pens have scored a total of four goals, and that, that kind of speaks to, like you're saying, running out of, of gas or really trying to miss those big guys. I think we all knew a couple weeks ago when they scored seven goals against each Minnesota and Winnipeg that that probably wasn't going to last forever, that all the complimentary players would be pitching in so much. And that pretty much has dried up because nowadays it's like Sidney Crosby or Jake Gensel usually will produce a goal or two, and then you got kind of got to hope somebody else comes through like Brandon Tanev did either last game against Tampa or also in the Colorado game that you referenced scoring the OT goal. But just the support players they have and the talent they have, just they need to get the bounces. And some of those bounces that were coming through a couple of weeks ago sure have dried up in the past two or three games here. And uh, moving forward, uh, after the 4-2 to two loss against the Panthers, they moved to a game on Wednesday night hockey against the vaunted Tampa Bay Lightning Jim, I personally did not get a chance to watch this game. I know you uh, you personally did, so you'll have to fill me in on some of the major aspects. But when recapping this game and looking back at some of the major highlights, again, this is a game where the Penguins felt like they should have won, at least gotten a point uh, against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the general vibe I got from the game against the Lightning was very 
um, very heartbreaking. That's the word I'm looking for, heartbreaking. And the fashion that in which the Penguins lost that game against the Lightning, just because so much looked to have happened in that last couple of sequences towards the end of the third period in which the Lightning came away with the 3-2 victory. So, Jim, uh, let's, let's turn it to your analysis, what you thought of the Tampa Bay Lightning-Penguins game on Wednesday. Were there any major signs of improvement from the, the, the previous two games against the Golden Knights and Panthers? And uh, overall, do, how, how well did the Penguins play? Do, do you think they really deserved at least to get a point from what looked to be a crazy, uh, a crazy back-and-forth game between the Penguins and Lightning? Sure. They took a lead into the third period, and in the NHL these days, when you take a lead into the third, you generally expect to get some sort of a result and not blow the game in regulation. But you could tell watching that game that Tampa was the stronger team. There were parts of that game they totally dominated in, in shot attempts and just pinning the, the pens in their zone. Tristan Jerry was awesome in net for Pittsburgh, making several really big saves to keep them in the game. But that's, I mean, the goalie is a part of the team, so it counts when he does well, and he certainly played a great game. And um, really, again, kind of the theme of the past couple of, of games, the goal scored, Brandon Tanov made a beautiful play to hold onto the puck, circle around the net, deke to his backhand really strongly and find a top-shelf goal. That was awesome. And then uh, Jake Gensel and Sidney Crosby hooked up for another goal. And then other than that, crickets, nothing else. No one else came through. Um, in the past few games, just in general, I think you've seen Zach Aston Reese has had a couple of really great chances. He hasn't scored. Dominic Cahoon at times has had chances. He couldn't score. Sam Lafferty's earned a few shorthanded breakaways with his speed and some looks there, but he wasn't able to score. So that's just kind of been the difference is that the Penguins took some penalties late when they probably shouldn't have. They just can't seem to get that one extra bounce or goal or they have a defensive breakdown at the wrong time, and that ends up costing them in the back of their net. So that that's kind of how that Tampa game played out, that they battled very valiantly, and they could have won that game quite easily, but they just kind of ran out of steam, it looked like, towards the end and kept taking too many penalties. I guess that it's encouraging, though. Many pundits were probably, at the beginning of the season, looking at the Lightning and probably picking them to represent the Eastern Conference again. Uh in the Stanley Cup final after uh, a humiliating defeat at the hands of the Blue Jackets uh, in this past postseason. But I think it's an encouraging sign, at least, that the Penguins were able to hang, even though, like you said, that the Penguins probably looked like they were they were outplayed by the Lightning, uh, at least for them to keep it as close as it was until the, the final whistle and that, that large scrum at the end of the third period. It, it looks like it was encouraging, at least, that they were able to fight especially because obviously they're dealing with so many injuries at this point. But, you know, I, I don't think too many people are going to overreact to a loss get to the Lightning in, in late October, especially because we obviously know how many injuries they're dealing with. And, uh, Jim, looking ahead to tomorrow tomorrow's game against the Dallas Stars, uh, you would think that the Penguins would be able to write, that, write the ship, maybe get, get off that this three-game losing streak. The Stars uh, are now 3-7-1, and one. And uh, they're on a two-game win streak, but you know you, you still get that feeling the Stars really haven't figured it out. The Penguins played this same exact Dallas Stars team uh, a, a week ago. Just so you would think, uh, now that this season series is already coming to a close, not much has changed between these two teams. And you know, let's be frank: we were frank last week when talking about the Dallas Stars and the bad start that they got off to. But uh, 
Uh, Jim, maybe maybe another game against this Dallas Stars team maybe what they need to finally, you know, snap this losing streak. It could be. And like you were saying, the Stars have won their two games since they played the Penguins. So it does kind of look like they're showing signs of life. They're also getting ready to play as we tape this game. So they might be on even a three-game winning streak by the time everyone's listening to this. But um, to your point, yeah, Dallas is, is still struggling, and this is probably a good time to catch them. I've seen some people say that they could be like this year's St. Louis Blues as a talented team that starts out kind of near the bottom and gets it together. So perhaps it's fortunate this year that the Pens get them twice early and don't have to deal with them anymore. But um, we'll have to see how it goes. These two teams did just play. It was a 4-2 game, but one of the goals was an empty net. So it could be another tight one again that the Pens just have to battle on the road and try to break a three-game losing streak of their own. Now, now that we've gotten the the most recent recaps and looking the head out of the way, I, I want to dive deeper into some more specific topics. And uh, Jim, I, I think one of the more prevalent topics uh, these days, even though the season is still relatively young, is the play of Dominic Simone. And really, Dominic Simone has been an incredibly polarizing player you know, going back to when he started out with the Penguins a couple of years ago. And, you know, now he is seeing increased ice time on that top line with Sidney Crosby and Jake Kensel. And, uh, Jim, I'll need some of your uh, some of your analysis here, because when I when I analyze Dom Simone's game, uh, a lot of people have gripes and they're they're incensed at the fact that seemingly Dom Simone can't finish. You know, he he, he can't produce that tangible offense that everyone looks at the box score or the score sheets and you know they immediately think uh, that high uh, high goal totals and high assist totals are really the only two things that forwards are marked by in today's NHL looking at uh, Dominic Simone's stats here through the 2019-2020 season through 11 games played he's registered six points with a plus two rating Six points and and predominantly playing on the top line with Sidney Crosby. I, I guess maybe you'd like to see a little bit more production alongside Crosby and Gensel, but six points in 11 games played so far is a rather respectable number, I think, at least in my opinion. So, Jim, let's talk about this polarizing figure in Dom Simone. It may not seem like he is, you know, it, it may not seem like his play is being reflected on the score sheet, like I said, with goals and assists. But there has to be a reason that he is continuously put on that top line with Jake Gensel and Sidney Crosby, wouldn't you think? Yeah, and that reason was in full effect in the goal that Gensel scored on Wednesday night against Tampa. Crosby played it up the ice. Dominic Simone did well to win the puck back in a 50-50 battle. He's very good at like little subtle plays like that, winning pucks back. He's an effective playmaker. He's, he's a really good passer, and that's what he did. He found Crosby with a nice pass, and then Crosby found Gensel for a pretty much a tap-in goal. So I think stuff like that is what you want to see. Uh, as far as the points, Dominic Simone now has five points in the last six games. So that's good. I mean, if if he's scoring points, that means that Crosby and Gensel are scoring as well. And, you know, it, it who scores the goal doesn't really matter as long as someone does. Um you mentioned six points in 11 games, but let's point out that's all at even strength. He's not playing a lot of power play time, so that's a pace of 44 points. Anybody who gets 44 points in a season all at even strength, that's that's a pretty good season for a complimentary player, especially when you're paying $750,000. So I understand that stylistically he doesn't do much, but it's kind of funny the same people that don't like him 
didn't seem to mind when Carl Hagelin last year scored one goal and two assists in 16 games, but he skated real fast and he looked good out there with Malkin. So it's kind of weird how like style wise that Simone might not be pleasing to the eye because he doesn't have like any one trait that really stands out and he doesn't score a lot of goals. Let's be honest about that. That's the truth. He, he doesn't for what one reason or another have just the finishing ability, but the positive aspects he has meshes really well with Crosby and it's well documented that Sidney Crosby performs better. The Penguins perform better when Simone's out there with, with Sid. And I think that does say something that he's able to help them produce those results like that. So that's why he ends up on that line. And for good reason, because he might not be scoring, but he's helping Crosby and Gensel get in positions so they can score. And just to conclude this, this topic, this discussion on Dom Simone, um, looking over his five, five season sample size in the NHL, and he's only played 120 games over those five seasons in the NHL. So don't take this sample size as the be all end all. But uh, I, I know some people really like to put some stock into advanced metrics, possession metrics. And I pulled them up right here. Uh, looking at his Corsi four percentage and um, Fenwick four percentage, two, two possession stats that I really like to live by and judge possession for, for, for players. Uh, he has really, really impressive uh, pos- possession, possession metrics, excuse me, 59.4 Corsi 4 percentage in 2015-16. Granted, it was only in three games played, and uh, I, I don't want to put too much stock, like I said, into this rather limited sample size, 120 NHL games. So I, I just want to look at his possession metrics for this season so far. And through the 11 games that he's played, he's registered uh, a 54 Corsi, 54 Corsi 4 percentage and a 54.1 Fenwick 4 percentage. And uh, anyone who is interested in advanced metrics know, really knows that Corsi 4 and Fenwick 4, if it's above 50%, that typically means you know, you're, you're a pretty good possession player if you can control the puck over 50% of the time that you have it. So this, this combination of his positive possession metrics and you know what he's been doing at even strength, like you were alluding to, and the points that he's scored over the, even over the last five games he's played. I really like how you described him. He's not flashy. He doesn't have one big massive trait that defines him, but he gets the job done. And you 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 know you right then and there you described the kind of pace that he was on by season's end. If he keeps this up, I think that's rather impressive for for a guy like Dom Simone playing with Crosby, uh, playing alongside Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel. I don't think. You know, playing alongside Crosby and Gensel, respectively, in looking at Crosby and Gensel's individual game, now you think of Jake Gensel as a 40-goal scorer and Crosby as one of the most complete players in the game. But Dom Simone, for not for how not flashy he is, I think it's pretty, you know, I, I think he deserves to stay up there. People are going to whine that he still can't finish. But Jim, like you said, what he did in the Tampa game to set up the Jake Gensel goal, I think that's why Crosby, I think that's also why Sullivan wants to keep him on that top line. And uh, if they continue to gel and mesh like they're doing over these last couple of games, this has to be a very encouraging thing moving forward for however much longer Evgeny Malkin is out. And even when Malkin comes back, you know, if if, if Sullivan feels like he doesn't want to, you know, screw up that chemistry on the first line, you don't really have to worry about it because you know what Gensel and Crosby are going to do. If Dom Simone can continue on this pace, I think it's a tremendous develop- development for the team. 
It'd be a development, and the other thing to remember is that lines aren't set in stone either. The past couple of games, the Pens have switched things up, and they've thrown Hornquist up there on the top line, and he scored a couple goals himself. Um, so I think that's important to remember that just because Simone is out there, he starts a game there, it doesn't mean he's going to end there. And um, his numbers this year are up, and his ice time is up, but I, I'm I would think we all know that's a function of guys like Rust and Galchenyuk and all the other wingers being hurt so much. So I think that's, that's just another tool that you can rotate those guys around. And that's pretty much Sullivan's mindset anyways, is he keeps Crosby and Gensel together. And then he tries to find that, that next guy who's playing well at the moment to try to support them and help them out. And he'll shuffle them around as need be, as we all know. So I think that's just something else to keep an eye on that, um, you know, Simone isn't being productive enough to hold up his end of the bargain, that it's not like he's going to stay there for an extended time. They're going to make sure that that they get a guy who's playing well to play with Crosby. And flipping gears from the looking at the forwards, switching to the defense. And Jim, you, you probably think that this is a this is beating a dead horse at this point, but we have to talk about it because I, I, I don't see it getting better before it gets relatively worse. And that is the play of Eric Goodbranson and, and Jack Johnson. And Jim, I know you probably you also probably think that, you know, we've devoted quite a bit of time early on in the season to talking about Goodbranson and Johnson regarding, you know, trade rumors floating about. But, you know, while they're on the team and while they're playing getting ice time, it things just haven't looked good. And recently, you know, they've been paired over the last couple of games on that third pairing. And uh you know, it really, even judging by the eye test, some people don't believe in advanced metrics. This third pairing, I mean, going into the season, it was rumbled and it was talked about that maybe that's how they would start good Branson and Johnson on that third pairing. And you just hope for the best. But Jim, there was one goal in particular that Tampa Bay scored that I got a chance to look at while on Twitter, uh, while uh, I was looking at recaps of the game. There was one goal that Tampa Bay scored that was just an amalgamation of the Johnson slash good Branson tenure while in Pittsburgh. Jim, I don't understand how Jim Rutherford and company and Mike Sullivan can, can continue to justify justify putting them out there on a nightly basis when they are oh so visibly being a detriment to the team and literally giving up goals to the opposition. You know, I'm no hockey expert. I don't know the X's and O's like like several hundred other hockey coaches or players at any level, but it I really don't think it takes a rocket scientist for me to tell you or for you to tell anyone else that this Johnson good Branson pairing is really, really hurting the Penguins at this point. It was rough and they've been trying really to do anything it seems like not to have that pair play too much they've been moving Johnson around in particular with a couple different guys and just trying to shield them but yeah their their styles certainly don't complement each other and it's it's a tough thing like you're just obviously they're hoping that they could get through it and that goal they gave up was against Tampa's fourth line so it's not even like that was any bit of good players the guy who set that play up was Luke Witowski who's I think just more known as a, a crasher and banger than any type of guy with hands. So yeah, that, that was a disappointing development, but one a lot of people saw coming. Um, John Reno breaking out and being a part of the Penn's plans has helped because that's kind of made one of those two guys expendable, either good Branson or Johnson, but 
as they stand now, I mean, the coaches don't seem willing to play Yusuf Ricola as a defenseman, and Chad Ruedel is on the team, but they're not willing at all to dress him. So I don't see what the the point is. I know the fan frustration. Oh, you got to play somebody else, but you know the coach trusts those guys to penalty kill, and he thinks that they're going to provide some physicality and help. Um, I don't really see why they continue to believe that when it never comes through for them, but that's just how it's going to be probably until they can figure out how to trade one of them. Um, I guess the best hope really that you can hope for is that Brian Dumoulin gets healthy as soon as possible, and then that will at least get one of Goodbranson or Johnson out of the lineup on a nightly basis as a healthy scratch. Just when you think one good thing is happening to this team regarding injury, another bad thing happens. And it just, it's it's just a roller coaster of emotions, and it has been for the last couple of years uh, regarding the injury bug in the Penguins. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I guess you know you and I and everyone else watching, we're just gonna have to you know take the lumps along with everyone else and hope that the Johnson Goodbranson pairing swims far more often than they sink. Uh, but judging by past performance. Uh, I think they're in the deep end, and I don't think there is an easy way for either of them to get out. But, Jim, uh, we're going to switch gears. We're going to move into my favorite segment of the podcast. Obviously, it's the mailbag segment. If you're a first-time listener or if you're a long-time listener and you want to get into this mailbag segment, it's very simple. Every week, we'll send out a tweet from our Pennsburg podcast Twitter account. It's at Pennsburg Pod, and uh, we will ask questions from you, the listeners, from anything that you want to talk about, uh, anything, and I mean anything, it is not strictly hockey talk. You know, we've had questions from Predator Warfare to how babies are made. And uh, yeah, so we run the gamut here when it comes to this mailbag segment. It's part of the reason why I like it. So uh, Jim, you you get first cracks. I'll read you the question and we will see what kind of answer you can give. Louis Vittorio, I hope I pronounced that right. Louis Vittorio writes in, is it time to switch up the cross? Is it time to switch up Crosby slash Gensel? Maybe move Gensel down to the second line while we wait for Gino. Hi, Louie. Thanks for writing in. I would leave those guys exactly where they are because they're still coming through. I know Crosby went without a point for two games, which is probably where this idea is coming from. And I just wouldn't switch it up because um, Sidney Crosby, his game is predicated, as we all know, on creating chances and playmaking. And if you move Jake Gensel off his line right now, who are you going to put on his line that's going to score goals for Sid when he creates those passes? Like, I I just don't see how they can find a way to better utilize Sid than to take away Gensel, who's clearly the best uh, goal scorer that Crosby can pass the puck to right now. And for Jake's sake, too, if you play him with guys, I don't even know, like Teddy Bluger and Brandon Tanev, I don't see how that would work out all that well either. Um, so I would just leave them as they are. And it looks like Brian Russ and Nick Bukestad could both be back as soon as tomorrow. So hopefully the reinforcements are on the horizon and that's the way to boost the depth around them, not to split them up. Our next question comes to us from Coach T who asks, would you agree that rather than spending three to four million on depth players, the Penguins should just leave a few open roster spots? Every year we have plenty of young, fresh, and cheap legs who will kill it for those spots. I'd rather spend that cap on top six skill or top pair D. Uh, yeah, thanks for the question, Coach T. I, I think it definitely makes sense. Uh, 
guys, especially on entry level deals, you know, like your your Sam Lafferty's. Uh, I think Teddy Bluger's still on his entry level deal. Um, yeah, let's see. I think y- Yusha Ricola might be on an entry level deal still. Uh, Marino. Exactly. Boo, that's a great example. John Marino. So to your point, yeah, exactly. I think there are guys who would obviously kill for those spots. And, you know, we've seen it over the last couple of years. You know, at one point, Brian Rust and Jake Gensel were on entry-level deals, and they obviously would go on to get rewarded for their spectacular play leading to the championships. It definitely makes sense. You know, Brandon Tanev uh, is a guy that comes to mind, and I guess well, we can throw in Jack Johnson and Eric Goodbranson in there as well. But yeah, I mean, Goodbranson and Johnson combined for $7.25 million of the salary cap. That could go to a top six winger or a top four D-man. You know, say what you want about Brandon Tanev. You know, I'm still of the mindset, even though he's been rather impressive, you know, six years for a guy who had historically been known as a depth player in Winnipeg at $3.5 million. Could that have been given to uh, another guy down in Wilkes-Barre who wanted to try and prove his worth? Yeah, I, I think it could have. You could have saved that $3.5 million for uh, maybe someone else, uh, a more well-known or more well-rounded top six player. And I think, too, you know, had they not given, for example, had they not given the $3.5 million to Tanev, maybe if they would have had some leftover cap, cap flexibility, you know, maybe they wouldn't be in such dire cap constraints now, even though, that you know, they have some relief in terms of long-term injury reserve with players, you know, have, having long-term injuries. But yeah, I, I agree. I think cheaper guys on entry-level contracts coming up from Wilkes-Barre, give them a shot. That's the least you could do is give them a shot. Give them a trial run in the preseason or give them an 8-12 to 12 game sample size at the start of the regular season to see if they can prove their worth. And th- I think that's how you build championships. Just to conclude on the question, I, I think that's how you build championships. I think that's how the Penguins won. Cheap, effective, skilled depth around Latang, Crosby, and Malkin that's how they won those championships. And our last question comes from the always reliable and always interactive Sammy Bagel Jr. who writes in, who's been the most crucial player with all of the injuries that have been sustained by the team? That's an interesting question because I guess it could go several different ways if you're talking about the most crucial player who's still around or the most crucial player got hurt or maybe the most crucial player who stepped up. So I guess me and Garrett will give you all three of those. Um I'd say, obviously, the most crucial player is Sidney Crosby because he's the best player in the league, probably, still. So having him around still, and I think at this point, yeah, he still has more multi-point games than he does scoreless games. So he's doing great and really helping the team out right now. Um, The most important player who got hurt, I think, is obviously Evgeny Malkin, though I think you could put a a vote in for Brian Dumoulin considering that the Penguins have like absolutely no one on that left side to replace him considering they switched either Chris Letang or, or John Marino over to the left side to try to replace Dumoulin on that top pair. And that hasn't gone well. So I think you could like sneakily say it's been Dumoulin, even though he's only been out for what, two, three games, but obviously Malkin. And then the best player I think who's come in and been cr- the crucial addition is definitely Sam Lafferty to me because the team, you can't just 
really understate how much they like him right now. Every time he's on the ice, it seems like he's making something good happen or or getting a chance or really showing off the speed or doing something good. So to me, Sam Lafferty has been the biggest guy to come onto the scene and just say like, oh, wow, like that that's kind of what this team needed as to give him some energy and some life to get him through all these losses. So Garrett, who would you say for your answers to this question? Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to seem like I, you know, I'm just piggybacking off your responses. Yeah, there's some different ones then. You know, I, I would say Sidney Crosby has to be the most crucial player in this injury, you know, this injury stretch. Uh, but since you picked Crosby, uh, let's see, Chris Letang has stepped up. I think Chris Letang is more visible, um, especially in the offensive zone. I, I always like watching Chris Letang uh, with his puck skills. I, I always always yell at my TV for Chris Letang to shoot the puck more. Uh, there was one the one sequence in particular a few games back, uh, you know, where Chris Letang just kept moving up, moving up, moving up into the offensive zone and deking out players left and right until he scored a goal, a really beautiful goal, reminiscent of what he did against the Sharks in the 2016 Stanley Cup Final. Uh, so you you pick Crosby. I'll say Letang. I'll also throw a, a vote in for Matt Murray, keeping keeping the team relatively afloat. For, and I also just want to say that just because I probably there's probably some Matt Murray haters who listen to this podcast, and uh, I just want to throw my support in for Matt Murray because Mark Andre Fleury is no longer here and everyone has to get over it. Uh, but uh, I digress. So yeah, I'll go with Latang slash Murray for most important player. Uh, let's see uh, what was the 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 most important player who was injured. Um, you said Malkin. I said Dumoulin. I'll, du- I'll change du- my vote to Dumoulin. Yeah, so. you started with Malkin. You said Dumoulin. Uh, I'll go the full nine yards on Evgeny Malkin because even though Sidney Crosby, Sidney Crosby is able to, you know, carry really a, a huge load, uh, you know, and he seems, he seems like he's really excited to take on this challenge for however long Malkin is out. Uh, but at the same time, I think Malkin's presence is missed not only in even on even strength, but on the power play. I, I was just having a discussion with somebody earlier and, uh, Having a guy, even though, you know, Malkin might not be as flashy as he was five, even 10 years ago, he's still a force to be reckoned with on the ice. You know, defensemen, defensemen can't be lackadaisical around Evgeny Malkin. Uh, and specifically on the power play, um, him just taking shots on the right circle, just taking bombs. I love, I love, 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 love when Evgeny Malkin sits on the right circle and just blasts them towards the goaltender. Those are my favorite kind of Evgeny Malkin goals. I think his presence is sorely missed on the power play. The power play just looks kind of like meshed and thrown together at this point, kind of dysfunctional. They might score every now and again, but Malkin's presence at even strength and on the power play is just another factor that have you have to really watch what you're doing as an opposing team in, in your defensive zone on the power play. So I'll go with Malkin for most important most important player who was injured and uh, most important player who has stepped up because of these injuries, uh, I I really was gonna say Sam Lafferty again. I'm trying to think who who is really that's okay. You can keep that one then. I mean, even though he's cooled down, he's cooled down over the last couple of games. I don't think he's registered a point in his last five games. But you know, like you said, the coaches still love him, and I don't know if he is a shoe in to be sent back down to Wilkes Bear when everyone is back up and healthy because of his sudden emergence onto the team. So, I mean, score sheet wise and eye test wise, I think it would have to be Sam Lafferty as well. 
Yeah, they kind of got him playing fourth line now, but that can be a good spot for him. And I especially think, you know, this this is probably a topic for next week or or a couple weeks down the line when they get healthy, but Dominic Cahoon is, is kind of putting it together a little bit more, but if he doesn't kick it in gear, I think he could be a guy who gets healthy scratched so that Lafferty can stay in the lineup once more players return to health. But we'll have to see. We'll have to see how it goes or how things go in the next few games here. That we will. It is going to be an interesting development. You know, we're getting closer and closer. It seems like with each new Pennsburg podcast episode we're putting out, you know, closer and closer, the players like Malkin and Rust are hitting the ice for uh, – they're just skating around and getting their muscles loose before morning skates. So there's progress being made, Penguins fans. There is progress being made. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. We just have to get through this tough stretch. Uh, Jim, is there anything else you want to say before we get out of here? No, I don't think so. I think we covered it all. Thanks, everybody, for sticking with us this down to the wire. Uh, follow all our social media accounts that I'm sure Garrett will plug here <laughs> and keep interacting with us and tell us what you want to hear if, if you like the guest interviews, and we'll try to tailor our show for you guys. Absolutely. And uh, to Jim's point, I will do just that. I will plug all of our social medias. Uh, you can follow our main account, uh, that is at Pensburg on Twitter. And if you type in Pensburg on Facebook, I'm sure uh, the Facebook variation of Pensburg's account will pop up. Uh, you can follow our Pensburg podcast Twitter account on Twitter. That is at Pensburg pod at Pensburg pod. Uh, get notified. You can get notified whenever a new episode of the Pensburg podcast goes live on your streaming slash podcasting platform of choice, whether that be, I think, believe we're on iTunes Google Play, Spotify, all of the major podcasting platforms is where you can find uh, all of our previous episodes. And like Jim said, we are working hard to try and get some more guests for you, uh, our very loyal, lovely, wonderful listeners. Thank you guys so much for sticking with us. But for Jim Rixner, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast, and we will see you next week.